It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mama told me, son, go and play in the yard. Papa said, go and play. You gotta break your stomach. Go and scream real hard. Go play in the yard. Go play in the yard. You gotta bring your stomach. And welcome to it Inside the Yard. Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold, a couple of Orioles broadcasters, talking about... The Orioles, as we record this, Jeff, no getting around it. They've lost 19 consecutive games. We're hoping by the time this podcast drops, that streak is over and out. But we shall see. Coming up on the show today, we'll talk to Sig Dell, who's assistant general manager, head of analytics for the Baltimore Orioles. We'll also talk to Joe Trezza about a number of things, including uh, what prospects may get called up in the final five weeks or so of the season. But, uh, Jeff, uh, right now – these are tough times. I mean, there's no getting around it. I think the energy level and the effort is there for what it's worth. And I know for some, that's probably not worth a ton when you've lost 19 straight games, but uh, these are just really tough and frustrating times. Yeah. It's, it's extremely difficult what the, what the Orioles are going through right now. There's no way around it. And it just feels like there's, you know, as we're, we're taping this, in a lot of ways, it's, it's felt like it's been one of those slides where there's a, a no end in sight. Um, and the 14-game losing streak was tough earlier. But the difference was there that they were in a lot of these games. A lot of these games over the course of this now 19-game losing streak, as we tape this, uh, they just haven't been in a ton of the games. I thought the Braves series, they were more competitive. I thought they pitched better. But, you know, there have been a lot of issues on the mound. There have been issues with runners in scoring position. And you just – need to get a break at some point. And eventually the dam is going to break. We're not exactly sure when it's going to be, but it's just, it's a, it's a tough process. It's tough to stay positive. I think you definitely saw some, some stress um, from, from John means after his start on, on Sunday where he threw the ball really well, but, you know, talking about the, the vibe in the clubhouse and how everybody's doing. And it's a really, really tough time right now. And you, you, you certainly feel for everybody that's going through this process. And like you said, the energy has been there. Uh, but the results have not been, and um, it, it's meant um, just really tough times, and hopefully they're coming out of it soon. And something that's kind of interesting here, and it creates this fascinating dichotomy, but it's exactly what Michael Elias said he would set up, and it's exactly what's happened. I mean, they haven't minced words here, but according to MLB Pipeline, the Orioles have the number one farm system in baseball. According to Baseball America, and we talked about this last episode, they have the number two farm system in baseball. So at least we can say there's their consensus one or two. And listen, Jeff, I've been following this team, covering this team for most of my life, my entire life in, in many respects. And historically speaking, in the kind of post uh, great run from the 1960, 1984 period where they were perennially uh, competing and contending every year. Uh, they have had one of the worst farm systems in baseball. And there have been blips and certainly there have been players that have come through. And to be honest with you, it happened before they went on a year, a run of five years or over leading the American league and wins where we saw 
uh, Matt Wieters and we saw Zach Britton and we saw Chris Tillman kind of come out of that system where they started getting more credibility and there was a lot of top 100 prospects again and it helped, it worked. Uh, but by and large, it has been in the bottom third year in and year out. Mike Elias, who took over a time when they were sitting on the first pick, Grayson Rodriguez was in the system, D.L. Hall was in the system, a handful of others, but he said that was his focus. And he's gotten to number one without really infusing the international talent yet. And that's coming too. And they're probably going to have a top three pick again this coming year. So that's really an extraordinary accomplishment. And that's where all teams want to be. Even if they're winning the big league level, they want to have one of those great systems. It's the lifeblood to every single organization. And it's usually your barometer of being able to eventually pull out of one of these rebuilds. If you look at some team like the Astros, for instance, that, that did the same kind of thing and has built one of these really good farm systems that eventually has gotten them to the playoffs year in and year out. And I think what's encouraging too, Brett, is that you're seeing the payoffs at multiple levels of the minor leagues. You know, with Grayson Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman is now at AAA. You've got Colton Kowser, who was just drafted, and he's gotten himself off to a really good start you know, starting in the complex league and now moving to Delmarva. And so you're seeing payoffs at multiple levels by players, some of whom are more experienced and some of whom are newer to professional baseball. And that's a great thing to see when, when it's firing on a bunch of different levels. And when you get that international pipeline fully stocked and you get that academy built and everything is going, then I think this is going to be really fun to watch. But the fact that you've gotten to this point when let's face it, you also didn't have that minor league season in 2020, and it certainly cut into a lot of critical development time. It just speaks to the direction that we are going on that level. And the hope is, and based on what we have seen from other organizations that have gone through these processes and building up these great farm system, what typically happens is that at the minor league level, when you are building all that success and you're ranked highly in those types of prospect rankings, it's generally meaning that it's eventually going to translate to wins at the major league level, which is what everyone's hoping for. Yeah, there's no question that the lost minor league season last year has hindered the Orioles' rebuild. Slowed it down, at least. I don't know, it hasn't shuttered at all. They've continued to do what they were supposed to do, but slowed it down. And those lost seasons are very meaningful. Every team had to deal with it. I think it probably hurt rebuilding clubs more and just slowed down the process. And you can't expedite it at that point. Pitchers need to build up innings. You can't jump guys from zero to 200. That is not doing anyone any favors. So you have to kind of reboot the system on it. And we're seeing that right now in the big league level. And I think had Dean Kramer pitched in AAA for most of the last year, had Gunner, uh, had uh, D.L. Hall and Grace Rodriguez had full season of the minor leagues last year, who knows where these guys would be? Mike Bauman, who knows? So it has hurt the big league club, wins and losses wise, and it has slowed down the development of some, but that doesn't mean they're not coming. It's just going to take a little while longer in some respects. So uh, that's where we leave it uh, on that note. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to Sig Dell plus Joe Trezza as we get it rolling on Inside the Yard. along with the Maryland Department of Health will host on-site vaccination opportunities during all remaining home games at Oriole Park this season. All fans is ages 18 and over who choose to receive one dose Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine will receive a voucher good for two complimentary lower-level tickets. No appointments necessary. Learn more by visiting orioles.com vaccine. Well, a very special guest right now on Inside the Yard. He is 
a vice president of the Orioles, assistant GM, and the head of analytics. Sig Dell is with us on the program. Sig, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you, Brett? I'm doing well. And I guess for you and your team right now, t- tell us where you guys are in, in your overall process and, and your day-to-day right now. Yeah, so I mean, the big picture of the overall process is uh, we're in the midst of still creating and expanding the analytics group uh, to get it up to par to not only the rest of our division, but the rest of baseball from what we had when we came here two and a half years ago. And so that is going very well. As far as like specifics on what we've been doing in the last few days, you know, it, it, it runs the gamut, but uh, as we were talking a little bit about earlier, like uh, there's, there's talk of, you know, non-tenders and major league and minor league free agents and, and given what we have in the org and what's coming, what might be the right fits. Sig, in terms of the minor league rankings, I'm sure you saw that the Orioles are now number one. How significant is that for someone like you, considering that in 2020 there wasn't even a minor league season at all? Yeah, no, it's great. I think it's a it's a testament to, you know, Mike Elias and the consistent direction he's had about bringing in young talent from international, from the draft, from however we could get it through trades and focusing on that. And at the same time, the great work that Matt Blood has done and uh, first and foremost, our coaches at the minor league level, like what they're doing. And then the players who have been receptive to that and who have improved. So it's great to see the third parties recognize whether we're one, two, or, or four, that we have a lot of talent, talent in the pipeline. We had the opportunity over a few weeks where the uh, draft room was created right near our broadcast booths at Camden Yards and uh, a huge uh, crowd of Orioles front office and scouts uh, were congregated many, many days and hours felt like all day and all night, to be honest, from our vantage point. And you were in, it seemed every meeting from what I could glean, how connected is every aspect of the organization from Mike Elias on down to every department? Yeah, I mean, ideally, we wanted as seamless as could be. And with uh, Mike Elias and the experience he's had, I think he's seen the negatives when it is not seamless. And so that's uh, something that I know he puts great importance to. And so the, the player development and the scouts, they interact, they share lessons, they share knowledge. Um, and it's as cohesive as we could get the analysts the scouts it just goes on and on we all work for the Orioles and it's all in our best interest that we make the best decisions and so uh, a lot of the walls and a lot of the pushbacks which might lead to poor decisions we do our best to to break those down so one of the things you notice with people that the Orioles drafted this year is a lot of guys who will walk and who will get on base and how have you all used tech to help hitters in the minor leagues make better swing decisions? Because as we've seen at the major league level, especially when you're facing the schedule that the Orioles are, it's very difficult to learn those type of lessons in the major leagues. So how are you doing that in the minor leagues? Yeah, that's a great question. It's uh, 
it's something that is is sort of counterintuitive. Sometimes the player that looks too passive and you want him to become more aggressive is actually the player who is settled on the the swing strategy or the swing decisions that are are more close to optimal. If you look at uh, Joey Votto or Matt Carpenter, they they just play a, an easier game. They don't have to hit these balls that they could barely reach. Uh, they work the count and they get pitches that they could hit. And so throughout the minor leagues, uh, thankfully with the tech we have with the TrackMan radar devices, we know the location of every single pitch. And so the players get feedback. It's usually immediate in the dugout of the location of that pitch, the chances of that pitch being called a strike at their level and at the major league level. And then many organizations I know have created different point systems where they're rewarded and deducted based on good decisions. And those swing decision scores are tabulated for the game, combined with the week, combined with the season, excuse me. And uh, the overall lists are, are shared with the players and they strive to, to get better at it. Both Colton Kowser and Connor Norby are top two picks this year, and uh, they, they spoke almost in the same way that, that you do, that about the process and about good swing decisions. And this is after a brief time talking with them, you know, a few days after signing, I guess. Did you know that they already had that mindset? Forget the statistics in college, but they actually believe in the analytics and they believe in the same process as the Orioles right now? So I'm not sure, like the, the better person to ask for that is the scouts and the specifics about it. We did have a uh, Colton here for a workout and I had, a, a, you know, a quick talk with him and that, you know, that did com- come up, I think he knew my background. And so he was, he was uh, sharing that. Uh, but what we really hope for is uh, an open mind, a hard worker who knows he's not major league ready now and who wants to do everything he can to get better. And it's really rare that you have a minor leaguer who is not interested in, in getting better, whether that's from the experienced coach or whether that's from the tech that we have. Sig, as you look at how there's more of an emphasis on, on walking and as you kind of look at where the game is going and, and teams like the Astros, for instance, they walk a lot, but they don't strike out very much. Do you think is, as you see this kind of trend coming across the game that maybe we're going to be going back to a part of the game, which, you know, we were in 10, 15 years ago where striking out isn't a great thing and it's going to become less about three true outcomes like we're seeing now, walks, home runs, and strikeouts, yeah. and going back to a, part, a time in the game where it becomes more about being able to put the ball in play? Yeah, that's another good question, Jeff. Um, I don't know. I could share my opinion. I think as long as players um, are rewarded for these sort of all or nothing swings and by rewarded, I mean, the ball flies over the fence and and they get multiple runs. I think there's going to be an incentive to have that type of swing and that swing is going to lead to more strikeouts. There's no way of getting around that. Now, when you bring the Astros, like this is a really good, offense um they hit for power and they do it without striking out that they've amassed some of the the best hitters 
uh, in baseball. And, but when you look across baseball, as home runs go up, so do strikeouts. And that's not really, that's not really a surprise. And uh, we know MLB, specifically Theo Epstein, is, is tasked with the goal of, um, I think, bringing the best baseball that we can to the, to the fans. And if the three true outcome games needs, or game needs to be throttled down, that MLB has the, all the knobs that they could adjust. And I think they're just ensuring that when they adjust it, they, they adjust the, the correct ones. I would think that for you, there's always going to be a moment of after there's some sort of rule change or evolution, it's your job to see how can we be successful in that world or change up ourselves uh, to have an advantage over the other 29 clubs. Do you already start thinking about that or do you have to wait and, and to see what changes may come? Yeah, no. So obviously it would be prudent for us to, to, to keep in mind and to keep an ear out on what might be coming. So just for instance, I was at our double uh, A affiliate last night and that league, you have to have all four infielders on the dirt and two have to be on each side of second base. And so who knows that may come in the major league. So we need to be prepared uh, as to what that's going to do as far as our infield positioning. If, if the automated strike zone comes and catcher framing, goes away we need to be you know we need to consider that and how that changes the evaluation of our players and the time we spend on different skills so somewhere there's a trade-off there's all sorts of rumors and and we have limited time but it would be wise to to do the planning and with the group of analysts we have we we do do a lot of that Say the last one for me, and you mentioned some of the different knobs. I'm not sure if uh, if you could push some of the different knobs, what you would want to maybe see um, to get more action in the game. Is there anything really that stands out to you that maybe if you could push some of those knobs you'd, you'd like to see? Yeah, so again, I could just share, you know, my, my opinion. I'm sure there's many fans who, who love uh, baseball turning into, you know, baby steps towards a home run derby and the high scoring games. And, and they're fine with the, the strikeouts. Uh, personally, I love the balls in play. I think it makes baseball so compelling and anything you could do to uh, incentivize, to encourage the player to not necessarily swing for the fences, but swing to hit it over the infielder's head, I think, makes for a more interesting game. You know, that's my opinion. The majority of fans out there may think differently. And so uh, that knob of perhaps deadening the ball, um, returning it to what it was a, a couple of decades ago, would theoretically encourage that. There's all sorts of other knobs, the size of the strike zone, the location of the pitcher's mound, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I would... I would love to see more, more batted balls. And uh, I miss the triples. I miss the singles. I miss the batted ball outs at advance runner. Shake, it's time now for our fun five baseball questions. Are you ready? Oh boy, let's do it. All right, number one. What's the last series you binge watched? Um, 
Fleabag. I don't. What uh, what uh, service is that on? Oh man, I could it be Apple TV? Maybe I, heard I don't that. know. If you had to have a road alias, what would it be? A road alias, like to check into hotels? Yeah. Oh man, uh, I have no need for that, so I, I might take <laughs> I might take your name. So if there's any trouble, <laughs> the, the Sig. Well, you got to hold the Sig groupies at bay. What What do you eat? Before, after games, if you're uh, on the road, maybe at an affiliate, traveling with the team, or at Camden Yards. Yeah, well, we're, if I'm traveling with the team, um, they eat much better than I could ever produce, and most, you know, better than most of the restaurants. So, whatever they're serving in the clubhouse, I'm I'm there right after the players. What would your first grade teacher say about you? Uh, a little mischievous, but potential upside. How about that? <laughs> it's a good scouting report. If you were, and we kind of have an idea of this one, but if you were not in baseball, what would you be doing? Yeah, I love numbers. I love statistics. I love projections. So whether it's uh, in the scientific world or economic world, I. Um, Time flies when I'm involved in that. So hopefully it'd be something like that. Well, Sig, we really appreciate your time. Always, always enlightening and insightful. And hopefully we can catch up again soon. No, great to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Birdland experience and O's game with the convenience and privacy of your very own suite. A variety of affordable single-game suites throughout the ballpark are available. Enjoy exclusive access to the game with climate-controlled interior seating, a private restroom, and comfortable outside seating. Visit orioles.com slash suites for more information. All right, joining us right now, Joe Trezza, who covers the Orioles for MLB.com. And Joe, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's always, always a pleasure. Well, I think you gave us, as we record this on a Wednesday, the best news on Tuesday evening when you posted the MLB Pipeline story about the Orioles having the number one ranked farm system in all of baseball. Take everything else out of it. That's an extraordinary accomplishment. One in my lifetime, I never thought I would see. Uh, Most of my life in these rankings, the Orioles have been towards the bottom third of almost every single ranking. So that is an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, it's an accomplishment, and, and it really speaks to you know how far that system has come just in, in such a short time. Um, I, I think it's a uh, it's it's a notable honor, uh, you know, no matter when it's coming. But uh, this comes three years after the Orioles, you know, basically said that's what we're going to focus on uh, for the foreseeable future, and they have poured resources into it. And you know, even Mike Elias will admit that that the rankings are you know what they are. They're not essentially um, an achievement in and of themselves because, you know, the achievements come at, at the big league level, but it is certainly um, an acknowledgement uh, towards, you know, uh, where their focus has been poured into um, over the course of this rebuild. And, um, you know, they have exciting prospects. They're headlined by Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez, obviously the top pitching prospect and top position player po- prospect in baseball. There's pretty much a consensus um, about that at this point. Um, you know, and, and there is some depth there, uh, stocked really in the last three drafts, uh, also with some, some international signings, uh, that are a little more exciting than the, than the, the franchises had in, in quite a while. So, 
Um, it's an interesting group, and I think the Orioles are happy to be recognized um, as such. Joe, I think we all have a sense that Rutschman is going to get to the Orioles at some point next year. Grayson Rodriguez, do you think he's going to follow a similar track where he's pitching games for the Orioles at some point in 2022? I think there's probably a 50-50 chance of that. I think a lot of it depends on how he performs at AAA. Um, you know, when a guy has that much success at AA in an environment around a lot of prospects, that's when things start to get really serious. Um, I do think that if the Orioles were in, were a team that was in contention and they maybe needed some some pitching help late in the season, you know, that would be a situation where maybe you you push him a little bit. Uh, but I do think, you know, he's still very young and his innings, his innings are being monitored this year. Uh, they're still taking last year's lack of innings into account. So I don't think Grayson Rodriguez will be rushed in any sense of, of the word. Um, but I do think that if he gets, he probably starts the year at, at AAA and if, and if he, um, you know, gets off to a really, really hot start and kind of pushes the Orioles hand, um, there is reason to believe he can probably pitch his way to the big leagues by late next year if everything goes right, if there's no setbacks or injuries, sure. Um, so I think it's a possibility, uh, but I do think that it'll probably be performance-driven um, and not situation-driven. Joe, who do you think, and then we're speaking again on a Wednesday morning, Mike Bauman pitched really well last night for AAA Norfolk. Who do you think could get called up prospect-wise over the final you know, five or so weeks of the season? I know expanded rosters will not be what they used to be in September, but who might get an opportunity from here on out that could excite fans? Well, I went on record last winter as saying that all six prospects uh, protected from the Rule 5 draft last November would debut at some point in 2021. And I think that's going to become very close to being true. I think there may be one or two that don't. So um, the only ones left are Rylan Bannon, Yusniel Diaz, and Michael Bauman. I believe um, I might be missing someone, but I think it's those three. And I think, you know, there's a decent chance Bauman gets called up. Uh, the Orioles really need pitching, and he's healthy and pitching really well and not approaching any, any innings limits. I don't really see any downside to that. Um, I think Ryland Bannon will be here, especially since he's caught fire uh, in the last two weeks uh, in particular. Uh, he was really hurt. He was hurt most of the year and not really, not really hitting, um, you know, because of those injuries. And he's, I think he's hit 10 homers in his last 10 games or something like that in AAA. I, I think that there's um, really no reason that he doesn't get called up. I think the only one uh, where some, there are some question marks are, is, is using El Diaz. He's been, again, hampered by injuries, slowed down, hasn't played very much. Um, and hasn't really hit uh, when when he has played. And uh, Michael Elias was pretty candid about the disappointment um, uh, that that they felt towards Diaz this year during that uh, media inter media scrum we were talking about earlier. Um, and I think that it would be silly to ignore uh, his tone and his cadence uh, when talking about Diaz uh, the other day. So I, I'm not sure if, if Diaz gets the call. I think Bannon and Bauman. Uh, pretty good chances uh, to get to get called up. I think that uh, I think we'll see Richie Martin back here uh, before the year is over, um, and you know possibly one or two other guys who aren't on the forty-man roster. Probably at least one pitcher and maybe even a position player. The last one for me, Jemai Jones just got called up the day after we're taping this. What do they want to see from him in terms of growth after he joined the Orioles uh, in that trade with Alex Cobb last year? Well, uh, the organization's stance this year was that, you know, they wanted Jones to get a lot of time defensively at second base. He'd only been a full-time starter at the position for a year when they, when they acquired him and um, didn't play all that much last year. And 
Um, so they gave him a lot of time at second to hone his defensive ability and acumen down there. But I think at the big league level, it's, it's really about offensive production for the most part. Um, you know, I think if defense was was a big part of this equation, I think Richie Martin would still be here in, in some capacity. He has the enough versatility to play third. Um, when the Orioles DFA'd Michael Franco, they didn't need to recall Kelvin Gutierrez to play third. They had Jorge Mateo and Richie Martin and Ramon Urias, three guys with enough versatility to play third. And Martin was the one who got sent down really because uh, of his inability to, to compete here at the big league level. Uh, from the offensive side, uh, the way they want it. So I think Jemai Jones would make an impact if he hits, you know, this team, uh, they need offensive production, um, especially at second base. They, the Orioles second baseman has have had the lowest OPS combined um, of any team at that position this year. So I think they're looking for uh, a spark plug, uh, somebody who's going to make an impact with his bat. Jemai Jones has a lot of tools. He can run a little bit. Um, he can hit, he can, he has some sneaky power. So, um, I think if the offense is there, um, I think that he has a really good chance of locking down that job full-time for uh, 2022. Joe Trezza from MLB.com covering the Orioles. Joe, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Great to see you guys. Thanks again. Best Orioles ticket deals in one place, including single game tickets, ticket packs, special offers, and more. We got you covered at the Orioles Ticket Marketplace. This is your place to score exclusive deals, so check back often for the latest opportunities. Don't wait to purchase last minute at the box office. Ticket prices are the same at Orioles.com slash tickets to purchase. All right, Jeff, we just heard from Joe Trezza before that sick Mydell. Uh, your big takeaway from SIG, what uh, jumped out to you? thought it was cool how he went into how swing decisions get made by hitters in the minor leagues, because no, I I think it's been really impressive what Ryan Mountcastle has done this year at being a better disciplined hitter. But what he's trying to do at the major league level is extraordinarily hard to do. And it needs to start really in the minor leagues. And as I think based on the Orioles draft decisions this year, it's something that needs to start when you're in college and when you're an amateur baseball player at at learning those different skills. And in a college game these days, there are more and more schools that have the tech that major league teams have. Maybe it's a little bit more rudimentary than some of the, the different devices and gadgets and different stuff that a team like the Orioles might have. But a lot of teams are doing a better job now at teaching their hitters about swing decisions earlier on. And it means you're seeing more walks and it means you're seeing less strikeouts. And I think, Brett, that we're going to get back to a point And I think if you want to look at the Orioles team who really personifies this, a guy like Cedric Mullins, there is a value in being able to put the ball in play and make good contact and having a shorter swing because there's so many pitchers that throw with velocity these days. The launch angle thing and and the launch angle revolution, as it's often referred to, can produce some home runs, but it produces lots of swings and misses. And the ability to make contact and put the ball in play consistently is something that I think is good, number one, because it gives you a chance to move runners on base. You'll run into home runs, as, as you've seen a guy like Mullins do, but also put the ball in play more and create more action in the game, which I really think is what baseball needs a little bit more of uh, because 
when you go maybe an entire inning or two inning stretch and it's just walk, strikeout, walk, strikeout, long at bats, and it's just swing and miss or free pass at the end, you know, that's not, that's not the kind of baseball that is going to appeal to a lot of folks. And so my hope is that as you're seeing more hitters, you know, learn how to hit and as guys realize the value in being able to put the ball in place, something that a guy like Cedric Mullins has, that you're going to see more and more of that across the game. It's going to affect how teams draft and how they develop their players. Going back to Ryan Mountcastle, I think we have to get into what he's accomplished this year. I mean, a really rough April. There were people wanting him being sent down a little better in May. Terrific June, and maybe there was a slight pullback in July, but back at in August. As we talk now, he has 23 home runs. He's five off the all-time club rookie record of Cal Ripken back in 1982 with 28 home runs. If you look at his American League ranks right now, he's basically second in climbing across the board around that number in OPS, home runs, RBIs, and doubles. I think if you had to pick a rookie of the year right now, it would be him. Because if you look at the numbers from Adelise Garcia, who's more home runs, really low OBP, really high strikeout numbers, a Rosarena of the Rays, not quite to where Ryan is in a lot of offensive categories. Eric Haas of Detroit, who's an older rookie. He'd be the other one who might be in the mix. But Mountcastle, who, by the way, is the youngest of the group, I think would be the selection if it had to be picked today. Now, a long way to go. Can he get to rookie of the year? Can he get to Ripken's record? It's going to be close, although he's gaining some serious momentum after hitting two homers last night. And remember, Brett, we do have a lot of baseball left, too. I mean, we've got more than a month left to go. Yeah, get it 30. Yeah, he might, he might end up getting there. And I think if he did get to that mark, it would really just show how much he's developed over the course of this year and how he's been able to do that when essentially one of those months was a lost month in terms of production because there was very little happening for him in April. But I think as he ran into some challenges really for the first time in his probably life, you know, he, he talked about, you know, growing up and being an amateur. And I think we all kind of realize just how good he is. You're not going to be, I mean, you're first round pick out of high school. So you're obviously a very talented guy. And then you go from that into minor league baseball, where you hit everywhere you went and you hit when you came to the Orioles, at the start of last year in the shortened season, and then you come out and you run into some trouble. And, you know, I think that that experience probably helped him get into a better routine kind of figuring out what he needs to do each and every day. And, you know, Don Long's worked with him really well on his approach and his swing. And um, it's just impressive to me, especially when he had a home run last night to, to the opposite field that hit over the high wall and a pitch that was actually a, I think it was a backup cutter that was inside and he still sent it the other way. And his ability to use the big part of the field, even on pitches that are in and showcase his power, it shows his strength, it shows his approach and, how much he's developed as a hitter this year. And his hardest hit ball tonight was a line drive out about, what, 108 or so off the bat. Yeah. Uh, he's really been fun to watch, and I think the sky's the limit. There's also something to be said by this, Jeff. Here's a guy who climbed every level, did a full triple a year, won International League MVP. Brandon Hyde talks about this a lot. He earned his graduation. He wasn't handed it. He earned it. And he even had to bide his time a little bit last year in the uh, alternate site. Uh, in Bowie. So he really earned his time, did a full triple A season. And we're just, you know, the Orioles haven't had that luxury with some of their pitchers and some other prospects coming along where they've really gotten all the time they need to develop in the minor leagues. All right. I want to end on this uh, big news that came out a few days ago. The Orioles will participate in now the annual 
literally classic next year. They'll do it on August 21st, 2022 against the Boston Red Sox in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. They were supposed to play Boston last year in that game. It was canceled because of the pandemic. So they get an opportunity to get to center stage next year in that game. Really a cool thing. Part of baseball's play ball campaign. Obviously, Little League Baseball is a huge deal. And the Little League World Series in Williamsport is a great tradition. But uh, baseball's seen its impact of kind of growing the game at the youth level. And I think this game's a really nice touch. I think it's become one of the best parts about baseball is being able to play games in different environments that are away from you know home parks. And I thought the Field of Dreams game was incredible. And I think it's really cool to hear that they're going back next year. That's going to be a great event. But before that, it was the Little League Classic that took place. And, you know, the story about how Shohei Otani is up there. And it's, it's, not, as, it's not quite the same Little League World Series this year because of COVID. But, but when he steps into the batter's box and he's looking back and there are all these, these Little Leaguers right behind him and he's waving to them and they're all telling Shohei Otani to hit a home run. I mean, how cool is that, that you're, you know, feet away – you know, 15, 20 feet away, it's a minor league ballpark there from a superstar. If you're, if you're one of those kids, that's something that you'll remember for the rest of your life. And being able to combine one great thing about baseball, which is Little League Baseball, with one great thing about the major leagues is being able to move around to these different environments, I think is going to help grow the game. It's going to encourage people to, to watch and be involved. And, you know, how many people were we're watching that game that took place in Dyersville, Iowa. I mean, when, what they did with Kevin Costner and, you know, the moments that it brought back and just how everybody who was there was so locked into the game. And I think I was locked in. I know you were too watching it being like, how do we react kind of this? And I think it was Joe Buck that said, it sort of feels like church right now because you're in awe of the atmosphere. And for little league baseball, I think you're kind of brought back to your, your days as a kid when you were playing little league and, and it, provides a certain youthfulness to, to the game. And, and that is something that's great. And as you're trying to spread the game to, to younger audiences, you know, a game like the Little League Classic is, is something that can do that. And the Orioles next year, uh, after they couldn't do it last year because of COVID, it's going to be great that they'll be part of it next year. Well, I, cannot, I could not agree more. Excited about that and excited about whatever's to come, Jeff, because you know what? Better days are to come. I can promise you that. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Halder, and our entire team here on Inside the Yard. We thank you so much for being with us. Big thank you to Sigma Dell and to Joe Trezza. We're back next week. Some really fun, exciting guests on the horizon. But thanks for being with us on this edition of Inside the Yard. Inside the Yard.